Hi everyone, my name is Maddie and I am a second year medical student and this is the first installment of the Health Equity Mini Interview Series. This project consists of many interviews with various physicians and patients regarding health equity topics and how to be a compassionate healthcare provider to diverse and marginalized groups. We hope you enjoy. Hello everyone, I'm here talking today with Dr. Lauren Rausch. He is an emergency medicine physician at Antelope Valley Hospital. He also works with the UCLA emergency medicine residents and paramedics and helps with their training as well. So he has a lot of experience with underserved populations. So we are going to be talking to him today about that specifically. So Dr. Rausch, if you could first kind of tell me about if you could generally characterize the patient populations that you work with in the emergency department, how would you describe them? Our emergency department is unusual. It's a partly a bedroom community on the edge of Los Angeles, but it is also the beginning of a large rural area for the rest of the state. So for example, we will see people from very crowded kind of inner city type of communities in our town, but we will also see people who might be flown in by helicopter 150 miles with a injury on a freeway or a traffic injury, or even a stroke or a heart attack or trying to get care or being driven in by ambulance. So it's a both a it's a busy community hospital that has a rural component and then also has a kind of an urban component as well. Often you do feel like you're the provider of last resort. There's a lot of parts to our job, but one of our parts is I feel like is at the end of the visit to give them a little bit of a roadmap uh, if they do have a complicated medical condition, kind of what is your next step? You mentioned that there's a lot of, you know, physical trauma that you see in your patients in the ED. I know that in addition to physical trauma, that's often associated with a great deal of mental trauma as well. How does trauma relate to common chief complaints that you see in the emergency department in your patient? So a lot of people come in, um, so they're not ACEs score doesn't just reflect adverse events. It also reflects being in an environment that is just not friendly for children or for people in general. Um, so you don't know if uh, if you are a victim, especially of abuse, for example, you don't know if you can trust other people or you probably shouldn't trust other people is actually probably a, a good rule of thumb is don't trust other people because they're going to take advantage of you or they might hurt you. So for me, uh, a lot of our patients, like we tend to see more patients uh, who have had traumatic childhoods or uncom- you know, poor care of themselves as children translates to per- poor self-care as adults. So a lot of times people will kind of judge, well, I can't believe they're not taking care of their healthcare problem. Look at this. This is terrible. And I just encourage people when they see someone like that to think, however they're treating themselves, that's how they were treated as a child. And so they're just recapitulating their kind of unhappy childhood. A huge amount, for example, of addiction, you know, we see a lot of uh, dual diagnosis. That means you're both have an addiction and you have a mental health problem, almost as a rule if you have one or the other. And so, for example, in mental health, um, it's just a very interesting Canadian doctor, Gabor Mate, and he says with addiction, don't ask what the addiction is, ask what is the wound, what are they solving with this addiction? Another thing I wanted to say, uh, this I know is perhaps more with emergency medicine patients. You know, we see a lot of pretty traumatized patients and a lot of their 
manifestations that they come to the emergency department are expressions of that trauma. Uh, and most of them are very unpleasant or off-putting or not a lot of fun to take care of in general. Um, for example, think of an addiction. That's not a lot of fun to take care of someone with that. But just to keep in your mind some compassion and realize that uh, ultimately at the end of the day, everyone is doing the best they can with what they have in this moment. And this is as good as it gets for them. This is how they're trying to get attention. This is how they're trying to get care. They have this, you know, they feel like this is nurturing to get whatever it is, these unpleasant behaviors people have is to understand that they're not doing this quote unquote on purpose. This is just their, the strategy that they've kind of figured out and this is the best they can do. And then there's specific things like, for example, sometimes you'll go to examine a patient and if you try to touch their abdomen, they'll push your hand away. And it's a little odd, you know, it's like, I'm trying to examine you. How, if I can't examine you, how am I supposed to treat you? And you're here to be treated. So just let me do my exam. I mean, that's kind of the impulse and it can be very off-putting, but just to understand, like, for example, most people, if I see someone who, if I touch their abdomen, they push my hand away involuntarily. I'm almost positive that person was sexually and or physically abused as a child. And that's such a defensive move. And so I try to just have some compassion from that. This is a pretty traumatized person and trying to defend their space and try to understand that. And, and then, you know, if you really need to, you can do something like, for example, say, why don't you touch your stomach? I'll put my hand on top of yours. You know, and now can you put your hand on top of mine and I'll feel your stomach, something like that, where you can kind of build an alliance with them. And then there's other types of patients. For example, we have, we call pseudo seizures where patients will have and it's not just a seizure. They kind of have, they kind of become in this state where they kind of lose control of whatever. And they, sometimes they'll shake, sometimes they won't. Those are disassociated reactions, almost invariably, I feel like. Those are also trauma related and probably from a childhood, um, certainly from a childhood of abuse uh, to have to disassociate. You know, that's the freeze. And then someone just checking out, like, this is too overwhelming. I'm just going to like check out. And so that person has such a low, emotional window of tolerance that anything that goes out of that, and then they go into this disassociated childlike state. I think sometimes there's a, a way where people sense like they're faking it and it's not a real seizure. And why are they doing this? They're wasting my time. And just to understand, I think of this not as a fake seizure. I see this as like a disassociated anxiety reaction. When you have identified a patient that has suffered some sort of trauma, how does that affect the way that you approach them? as a doctor and how you treat them as your patient? Just in general, my um, orientation towards patients in the emergency department is to try to always approach every patient with a sense of, you did the right thing coming in today um, so that we can take care of you. So in my head, I'm thinking, thank you for coming in and giving me your medical problem so that I can help you with this medical problem. And for me, it does two things. One is it's so important to stay in that mode of service because then our, we have a joyous job. You know, if we're helping people, it's joyful. Thank you so much for coming in. I will help you. And then very typical, we all get burned out. We all get a little you know, depressed and irritable. And, and so then we'll start to resent, like, I can't believe they came in. What a silly complaint. I can't, what that kind of mindset might just encourage all the students to know that that's, that's not a, it's not coming from a, a healthy position that 
to me is a sign that we were burned out and we need to take more care of ourselves. And I don't say that to everyone, but I try to say it to people where I sense there's any kind of concern because a lot of patients do come to the emergency department or seek care wondering, should I've come? They're kind of embarrassed. They'll kind of say, well, I don't know, or something like that. And so those are the people that I really like to say, you did the right thing coming in today because it immediately builds an alliance with the patient. And it's immediately reassuring the patient that I'm on your side. I'm not judging you. I'm not going to you know, dismiss you or attack you. I, I'm, I'm on your team and we'll figure this out together. Really fundamentally starts with compassion for the patient instead of an adversarial, like they're faking it and I'm going to prove that they're tricking me. Like don't even go there. Just this is a patient in distress and they're presenting, and how can I help their distress? They are just trying to do the best they, they've learned to kind of disassociate. So this is what they do now. They maybe, so they, that's kind of their reaction. You know, they got bad news at work or they got criticized at home or whatever it was. And they kind of flop around and do this thing. And it is like pulling the yellow handle. I feel it's like the ejection seat. So I think part of it is understanding that everybody who's coming deserves compassion and understanding as much as we can. And then when you understand it that way, for example, this person who can't let me touch or doesn't want to open their mouth or doesn't want to, is to just have compassion for that person. That That is probably reflecting either their trauma or some inherited trauma, you know, from their parents, you know, who might've been traumatized. It's not always our trauma. Often it's, you know, our, our parents kind of teach us that we're not safe. We're not loved. We're not good because they were treated poorly. Lastly, what is one piece of advice that you would give to aspiring compassionate physicians? There's a couple of things I'd want to share if I have an opportunity to talk to medical students. One of them is that just congratulations to all the medical students who are listening to this. It's amazing that you're in school, you've done so well, you're in this program. That's amazing. You have a very exciting and interesting career ahead of you. I encourage you to also really take care of yourself as well. One of the things that we do when we go into medicine is we're all perfectionists. We all want to do really well. We all, we love to please other people. We like to feel like we're making a difference and that we're helping other people, which are all amazing traits and are very helpful in the field of medicine and your patients will benefit from them. And as one of my professors said, perfectionism is socially advantageous and it is personally expensive. So it means that in this field, we're very helpful and we're high achieving people. And yet we're also almost as a rule battling anxiety, depression, and burnout because we're kind of expecting these things that we're working for to all of a sudden make us happy. Uh, and it's more complicated than that. So you have to also learn how to take care of yourself and unwind this, allow yourself to be a perfectionist, but also be kind to yourself and be kind to your patients. One of my favorite things right now is mindful self-compassion. And they have a program for healthcare workers, mindful self-compassion for healthcare workers um, that I'm trying to get our staff to do as well. One of the best ways to develop compassion for your patients is to develop your compassion for yourself. And I always hate it when people say stuff like that, you know, they be nice to yourself, well, shut up, you know, it's like terrible. <laughs> but it's actually very smart people. I've been thinking about this and working on it. And so fortunately, now, all the students have much better opportunity to do this work than, for example, Kristen Neff's Five Minutes of Self-Compassion, check out the Mindful Self-Compassion work. Here we are, these highly successful, high-achieving people, and we're not happy, we're anxious. Like, that's 
that deserves some compassion, right? How, how can we be, I mean, if it's, if it's impossible for yourself, you know, what would we say to our friend? If we were our friend, we would talk very differently than we talk to ourselves. It's so important to be compassionate to ourselves. We deserve compassion and it's actually, sol it's a solvable problem.